Hello everyone, this is Karin Takar and welcome to the Zenergy Podcast. Over the past decade, India has done an impressive job of integrating renewable energy into its energy mix. For this Fulbright podcast series, I sought to investigate the enabling factors and potential of India's global leadership in renewable energy with the focus on solar. This Fulbright series is broken down into four seasons. In this season, through conversations with leaders who have been instrumental in developing the Indian renewable energy sector, we will highlight how India has managed to integrate 35 gigawatts of solar in just a span of 10 years. We will also explore what these leaders believe the key challenges to be as this sector further develops. In this episode, we will be speaking with Mr. Gaurav Gupta, who's the global head of energy for Dalberg Advisors and is the founder of Dalberg's Asia practice. Dalberg Advisors is one of the world's leading strategic advisory firms and primarily focuses its attention on global development issues. As a founder of the first Dalberg office in Asia, Mr. Gupta has contributed to the firm's growth from Mumbai to Singapore and Delhi and has been working primarily on renewable energy, energy access, sustainability, access to education, and social justice issues such as poverty. In this interview, Mr. Gupta talks about his background and firm's contributions to the renewable energy sector in India, and analyzes the topic of centralized and decentralized energy distribution, as well as the potential of India becoming a renewable energy leader globally. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mr. Gupta. Hi, Gaurav. It is really nice to have you on and really appreciate you taking the time. I was reading about your professional journey and found it super fascinating, especially considering that you founded Dalberg's first Asian office in Mumbai and proceeded to set up Dalberg offices in both Delhi and Singapore. But prior to talking about how that came about, could you briefly introduce yourself so that listeners can get a bit of an understanding of what you do and the extents of your involvement in the energy sector? You provide a brief introduction. Sure. So nice speaking with you, Farron, and thanks for sort of reaching out. Briefly, I wear a few hats. I head Dalberg here in Asia, but I also head our energy and environment practice. And one of the things that, in fact, drew me to starting Dalberg in Asia was because I was really keen to work on the nexus between poverty and energy. And uh, I thought one of the best ways to do that is to develop a platform in which you can bring a whole team together. And, you know, management consulting uh, advisory work is really good way to both engage with multiple problems, multiple clients, but also it's a great talent base. It's a good way to bring young people into the fold and have them sort of work on these challenges and, and bring a team to solving the problem. Because prior to this, I'd helped start an NGO focused on uh, climate change. I was working on some social enterprises, but you know th- those things were very much with you know one or two people. And I thought it would be great to try and develop a really strong talent platform. 
such as Dalberg, to bring more people to these kind of issues. Of course, we we as a company now, as, a, as an advisory company, work across multiple um, challenges. Sorry, you probably can hear my daughter in the background. So I'm on a phone call. Her uh, favorite thing is to come in and add her voice, which is great. But so I think that's sort of the genesis of it. But I guess my, my background is I started as a management consultant with the Boston Consulting Group, uh, worked a lot on social issues, had an opportunity to work on social issues with them, then moved to India from, from Australia because I wanted to focus uh, on working on, I guess, what is now broadly known as a social impact space, like working on social justice issues, where I did started working on sustainability, but also became very interested in other issues around education, poverty, and so forth. So that's what led me to India. Uh, and uh, within a year or two of uh, being in India, I started Dalberg. Now, my association with them was that, you know, at that stage, uh, a very small company, I think 60, 70 people around the world, mainly in the US at that stage. And as such, we're almost operating as a franchise of you know, different entrepreneurs starting different offices. And and I happened to know the COO of Dalberg at that time because she had worked for an organization I had set up in, in Australia. Uh, and when she heard that I was in, in India, she sort of called me up and said, hey, we don't have anything going on in Asia. Would you be interested in starting up Dalberg in Asia? Which was interesting because it's a very entrepreneurial opportunity, you know, small organization. So there isn't really any capital or systems in place. So it's really, you just get given the right to use the brand name and then you're, you're left to think about how to form what, what is the appropriate sort of advisory organization for, for this region and, and, and this country. So I had a, it was a really interesting journey. And I think we're now about 120 people, uh, mainly in India and expanding across Asia at the moment. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, and energy is one of the areas that I really, do a lot of work in. So happy to answer questions on that front. That's amazing. Yeah. I, so during my time in Delhi and also just traveling across India, I met a few people who worked at Dalberg and definitely all super smart. And yeah, I was just curious as to, so in terms of what the energy group focuses on, could you talk a little bit about the different areas within energy that Dalberg works, works on? Sure. Yeah, I think as a bit of as a bit of background, you know, uh, as a management consulting firm, we 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 have our practice areas. You know, all the big management consulting firms have practice areas. You know, they will they will have agri, consumer, mining, petroleum, whatever. Right. We our practice areas are organized around challenges that we want to solve because we're a social impact firm. We only focus on helping our clients optimize for social impact. So for us. It, Energy is about access to energy, and it's about sustain, sustainable energy. So the areas that we work on energy are either a mix of these two or you know, these things individually. Uh, all our projects will either be about saying, how do I get access to people who don't have access? Or how do I ensure that the energy is more sustainable? Because these are the two big social, you know, overarching social challenges of energy, right? And so that's, it's, it's in that spirit that we engaged in. And then the first area that we really focused on was off-grid energy because it was a nexus of, you know, a billion people at that time, even more back in 2009, when we first started engaging with this issue of people who just had access to zero electricity. Uh, and, and so, you know, some very poor development outcomes as a result of that. And at the same time, the fastest way to get energy to them and arguably the cheapest and definitely the cheapest now was through renewable energy. 
So you could you could really attack both problem sets of how do you how do you deliver su- sustainable energy, and how do you also increase access to energy. So we really became interested in this whole space of off grid energy, which is, you know, all these people who miss out on the grid, or even if the grid's there, there's no electricity coming through it. How do you set up solar home systems, solar lanterns, mini grids, and so forth to serve uh, that sector? And we had a real, I think, flying start to this, a real breakthrough moment. And suddenly there was a sense that, you know, a solar panel combined with an LED was actually a, a pretty robust technology for delivering at least basic lighting in a cost-effective way, right? And, and people like the IFC, World Bank Group, several organizations started to look at this and say, okay, is there an opportunity to be transformative with this change in technology in at least providing basic lighting? Because you're, you're talking about a situation where over a billion people were not even getting basic lighting in a, in a cost-effective, healthy manner, right? They were about burning kerosene lamps. Even I, in my early days growing up in India, my, my hometown would have at least six, seven hours of kerosene use each day because electricity would come for four hours. So it's, it's, it's not even that much in our past, right? And even today, there's a, still a lot, large or unfairly large amount of the population that still relies on kerosene. So even something as basic as lighting could be potentially solved for with this, with this idea of LEDs. So they came to us in 2009. The IFC was talking about you know doing a big conference in Africa and... They, you know, they asked Dalberg if we would be willing to write a report for that conference to talk about how the value of this new technology and this approach for poor people. And I think what they were really after was this ability to describe what is the social benefit of providing electrification. And we actually had, a, it's a great team that they had, continue to have. And we had a chat with them and, and you know, really tried to understand what's the actual strategic objective, which ultimately, from an IFC perspective was, look, can we get the private sector involved? This used to be a space of, you know, providing electricity to the poor used to be a space for NGOs and government, right? And can we get the private sector involved? And so we thought a bit about it and we thought, look, what's the point of writing a report that says electricity is good? Everyone knows that. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, we wrote a very different report. And in fact, I see at that time we were very stunned. They were like, this is not what we were expecting. We we're expecting some six page, you know, simple report that can be shared around in the in this conference. And at that point, that conference was very small. But we wrote this like large report that talked about, you know, there's $20 billion being spent by the poor in substandard solutions for their lighting needs and their electrification needs. You know, batteries, wax candles, kerosene right? Like uh, that, that actually adds up to a lot of money and that this could be displaced by a lot of these new technologies, which are cheaper, healthier, and higher quality. And we wrote a report about how much money could be made in this sector, you know, that within the next 10 years, you could see, you know, a few billion dollars of revenue. And, you know, we predicted 95% year on year growth of solar lantern manufacturers for the next 10 years. And so our report sort of presented some pretty glowing numbers, which, you know, which, you know, initially everyone was taking with a grain of salt, but actually those numbers were beaten. In the end, we, our numbers could be argued as being slightly conservative. But that was like the start of the journey because it was one of the first reports out there in the market that treated this as a sector Mm -hmm. that gave shape to it by saying, look, there's this much money to be made. These are the players out there. These are the technologies. These are the products today, but these could be the products in the future. And in fact, it allowed people to 
you know, entrepreneurs around the world to say, look, here's a report that says this is, you know, a two, $3 billion market or a future $20 billion market. Mm-hmm. Give me funding. And I think that really was, I think, firstly, very impactful, but also gave us a lot of tailwinds to really make our mark in the space of off-grid energy, which is a space we continue to uh, do a significant amount of work. So yeah, there's a bit of a story of some of the things that got us really started on this. Do you also now work on the on-grid side of things as well, like at more of the centralized level, or is most of the focus still like largely on the off-grid side? Just curious. Yeah, no, it's a good question. As we as we've grown, and and as you know, as I mentioned, sustainability is a imp- really important aspect of what we do. Along with sustainability, it's also you know we work on economic growth in poor countries. Like you have to address the energy challenge at multiple levels, including the large infra level. So we do work on on grid as well. I mean, we're less technical folks on on grid. I think the the, the questions around on grid will be around how can you find good financing for it then there's also on grid from a renewables perspective right Mm -hmm. and we've been doing a lot of work on energy trading so how do you set up good systems and legal frameworks so that countries can actually trade energy uh, import and export energy because if you want a renewable energy to really flourish and you you may have seen you know india's been talking about this once on one grid as an example Mm -hmm. but you know because renewable energy is not evenly distributed you you want to be able to have grids that can cross countries and people can wheel their, you know, solar energy that they're generating from their desert across to a country next door. Australia is a great example where there's so much wide open space and such great sunlight and the ability for them to actually export a lot of solar energy through, you know, a connected grid that might go up to Southeast Asia. So we're working on a few of those kind of uh, issues as well. So yeah, on grid is, and, and we've helped our clients think about renewable energy investments, which, some are off-grid, some are on-grid, and so forth. So, yeah, it's definitely a growth area for us. Yeah, so one of the values that I believe are to be, like, the very key value in renewable energy is the decentralized nature of it. And, like, just from my understanding of, like, through the conversations I've had, I feel like India has largely focused, at least, like, on the communication side of things, on these solar parks And there's been a lot of focus on like centralized solar parks, which have been super successful just over the last 10 years or so. But I'm curious as to like to hear your thoughts on whether you like whether you think there needs to be more of a focus like on the decentralized ownership of like the renewable energy technologies. Would love to hear your thoughts around this. Like, do you see there to be a transition away from like the traditional model of generation to transmission to distribution? Do you think that will continue to be the dominant model? Or what are your thoughts around this? Yeah, look, I think um, starting at the sort of 30,000 foot level, there is a version of the world in which, you know, there's, you know, millions of decentralized points of generation that are then connected up with a smart grid, right? And that means that, you know, it's, it's a bit like how the internet will work, right? You take down a node here, it doesn't matter. The energy starts coming from other places and so forth. Because I think the version of the world we're in right now is, look, there's a centralized grid 
And then there are pockets, and in some countries, those pockets are very large, where there's no centralized grid. And it, you know, given today's infrastructure costs, it doesn't make sense to put that out there. You're better off just creating localized. And so you you create these island type approaches, you know, grid and then lots of little islands. And that's just because there's huge sunk cost in the grid today. And then, you know, you've got this, wherever there's like fresh investment, it makes sense to go decentralized. Now, the question is whether that, you know, if you project that forward 10 years, 15 years, if that's going to sustain, right? It, it, it is, it may actually be more cost effective, more robust for us to move completely to a decentralized system, but still linked up so that you can take care of redundancy. So there's a smart grid that's, you know, managing power uh, loads here and there. I don't know if I have an answer to that. Like, I, I can't that's say a, that. Kind of I think one is better. But what I can, I think, I do think that infrastructure is a lot more robust. And I do think that technology is heading in a direction where the minimum efficient scale is coming down so significantly that the only advantage that centralized really had was scale, right? Like you, you, you came up with these things because it made sense to build a 400 megawatt coal-fired power plant. You didn't build a one megawatt coal-fired power plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but renewable energy has very different scale economics. They're still there. But you also have diseconomies of scale because in terms of the kind of, you know, sending power long distances it's itself, a lot of it is very expensive. There's transmission losses and, and so forth. At the same time, renewable energy is a lot less predictable because you do have, you know, days when there's no wind and, you know, sunny days and non-sunny days and so forth. So you need to sort of create, if you are going to make decentralized work, you do need to create a sort of interconnected grid with multiple points of generation so that it can be, so it can, you know, wheel power to where it's most needed and where power is being generated at this moment. So I think that to me feels like a much more robust system. It's, it feels like a much more sustainable system. But whether that will naturally happen over the next 10, 15 years, I cannot say. There's a lot of modeling that needs to be done. And there's a lot of incumbents, right, and sunk cost in the system today that um, make it hard to know what will be the right answer. It's, I mean, if you think if you project, you know, 30, 40 years forward, it's very clear that unless there's some big technological shift that, you know, large scale is not going to be such a huge issue. There's not going to be huge scale advantages in terms of generation, in which case decentralization makes a, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Thank you for expanding on that. Yeah, that, that made a lot of sense. And I'm just curious as to whether you see renewable energy is playing an important vehicle for India like to kind of leverage to like build partnerships on the world stage. Do you think India could be a leader in renewable energy? Yeah. So uh, it's a great question. And I think it's, it, it's at several levels, right? So there's one level of leadership, which is at the innovation level, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, do we have the most cutting edge innovation in renewable energy, right? And the answer to that is no. We might get there. But at this stage, where it feels like it's heading is, is a little bit similar to, you know, with pharmaceutical generics is, which is maybe we can get to a cutting edge approach to building things that others are also building, but building them cheaper, right? So production innovation, perhaps. But I'm not seeing uh, technological innovation coming out of here because, we, you know, our R&D spend here and, and the labs that we have here are no match for what's going on on the world stage. Right? Okay. And 
And if we want to achieve leadership from a technical perspective, then I'm not saying it's not possible, but I haven't as of yet seen some major investment that people are talking about in that space. So now if you're not going to achieve technological leadership, perhaps you can achieve manufacturing leadership, right? So China mm-hmm. is a good example of that. That And China is actually now moving into technological leadership as well. But it has had manufacturing leadership, right? It, it has been the breadbasket of the world in terms of creating solar at, at a price that is in, in, you know, incredibly cheap. Now, I wouldn't say, in, can India be a leader in that manufacturing space? And there's a lot of talk about people taking over from China in terms of manufacturing as costs are rising there. Hard to say. And certainly solar is, uh, that's a broader question. Solar is just one example of a broader manufacturing capability that we need to have in this country that needs to also look at ease of doing business and availability of cheap capital, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like, and human capital. So again, uh, to me, that's a macro question. Right now, I don't think anyone could claim that we've got some manufacturing edge that that can be seen. What we do have, I think, is at least momentum and what seems to be strong bipartisan government will to be very forward-leaning on at least certain technologies like solar, right? So the government has previously announced a whole bunch of policies and purchasing and so forth that has created a very strong sector in India that has strong growth potential. They've outlined some major targets and that, that marketplace creates dynamism because it allows a lot of companies, which you are, you're talking to, to sort of enter, to bet on the market, for them to sort of set up scale manufacturing and, and so forth. I think the question really from a leadership perspective is, will that translate into global leadership? Like, will we be exporting that out? And you, you, I think at a company level, you're seeing some highlights. And you're starting to see a few companies emerge that could potentially play a regional role or more. But I think the jury's out. The, the place where there may be an opportunity for leadership is at the political level. You know, I think the Modi government has spoken pretty strongly on solar. You have the International Solar Alliance, which, you know, really started as a strong bilateral push from France and India, but is, is a global body that is trying to think about the expansion of solar across the world. And it's got a lot of push from the Indian government. You, you know, it's one of the first international bodies, UN-style bodies, that is actually headquartered in India. So that itself is a signal. But it's early days for that institution. And you know, if the government gives it the right push, the right set of resources, and it's able to also generate lots of buy-in from many other countries, then that can create a real great leadership platform. And even though that's an international body, I think people will just recognize that that's a lot of its heritage was in India. So there is a, a sort of a global political layer at which India can be seen to be a strong advocate or a leader in solar. What I would love is for them to A, do that, but to also, you know, the fundamentals also to be strong. Like, you know, can, can we be a strong manufacturing base? Can we be a technological base? And not just for solar, right? So I think the, on, on the manufacturing base and the technology, technology base. I don't think there are, there's enough there today to say we, we're going to be a, playing a leading role, but we can uh, because the marketplace is here. It's a big, large marketplace. So that's an opportunity uh, that we should be looking at. Thank you. That was amazing. Good luck with everything. Thank you. 
I hope you enjoyed that episode and do check out the show notes for more information on my guest. See you next time.